Chapter thirteen of Biographia Literaria. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Biographia Literaria by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Chapter thirteen. On the imagination or essemplastic power. O Adam, one Almighty is, from whom all things proceed and up to him return, if not depraved from good created all such to perfection one first matter all endued with various forms various degrees of substance and in things that live of life but more refined more spiritous and pure as nearer to him placed or nearer tending each in their several active spheres assigned till body up to spirit work in bounds proportion to each kind so from the root springs lighter the green stalk from thence the leaves more airy last the bright consummate flower spirits odorous breathes flowers and their fruit man's nourishment by gradual scale sublimed to vital spirits aspire to animal to intellectual give both life and sense fancy and understanding whence the soul reason receives and reason is her being discursive or intuitive sane dicerentur si res corporales nil nisi materiale continerent verissime influxu consistere neque habere substantiale quicquam quem admodum at platonici olim recte agnovere hinc igitur praeta pure mathematica et phantasiae subjecta collegi quaida metaphysica solaque mente perceptibilia esse admitenda et massae materiali principium quadam superius et ut sic dicam formale addendum quando quidem omnes veritates rerum corporearum ex solis axiomatibus logisticis et geometricis nempe de magno et parvo toto et parte figura et situ collegi non possint sed alia de causa et effectu actioneque et passione accelere debeant quibus ordinis rerum ratione salventur et principium rerum an entelechean an vim appellimus non refert modo memenerimus per solam virium notionem intelligibiliter explicari sebomai noerum cufiantaxin corri timeson u catechuthin descartes speaking as a naturalist and in imitation of archimedes said give me matter and motion and i will construct you the universe we must of course understand him to have meant i will render the construction of the universe intelligible in the same sense the transcendental philosopher says grant me a nature having two contrary forces the one of which tends to expand infinitely while the other strives to apprehend or find itself in this infinity and i will cause the world of intelligences with the whole system of their representations to rise up before you every other science presupposes intelligence as already existing and complete the philosopher contemplates it in its growth and as it were represents its history to the mind from its birth to its maturity the venerable sage of konigsberg has preceded the march of this master thought as an effective pioneer in his essay on the introduction of negative quantities into philosophy published seventeen sixty three in this he has shown that instead of assailing the science of mathematics by metaphysics as Berkeley did in his analyst or of sophisticating it as wolf did by the vain attempt of deducing the first principles of geometry from supposed deeper grounds of ontology it behoved the metaphysician rather to examine whether the only province of knowledge which man has succeeded in erecting into pure science might not furnish materials or at least hints for establishing and pacifying the unsettled warring and embroiled domain of philosophy an imitation of the mathematical method had indeed been attempted with no better success than attended the essay of david to wear the armour of saul another use however is possible and of far greater promise 
namely the actual application of the positions which had so wonderfully enlarged the discoveries of geometry mutatis mutandis to philosophical subjects kant having briefly illustrated the utility of such an attempt in the questions of space motion and infinitely small quantities as employed by the mathematician proceeds to the idea of negative quantities and the transfer of them to metaphysical investigation opposites he well observes are of two kinds either logical that is such as are absolutely incompatible or real without being contradictory the former he denominates nihil negativum irrepresentabile the connection of which produces nonsense a body in motion is something aliquid cogitabile but a body at one and the same time in motion and not in motion is nothing or at most air articulated into nonsense but a motory force of a body in one direction and an equal force of the same body in an opposite direction is not incompatible and the result namely rest is real and representable for the purposes of mathematical calculus it is indifferent which force we term negative and which positive and consequently we appropriate the latter to that which happens to be the principal object in our thoughts thus if a man's capital be ten and his debts eight the subtraction will be the same whether we call the capital negative debt or the debt negative capital but inasmuch as the latter stands practically in reference to the former we of course represent the sum as ten minus eight it is equally clear that two equal forces acting in opposite directions both being finite and each distinguished from the other by its direction only must neutralize or reduce each other to inaction now the transcendental philosophy demands first that two forces should be conceived which counteract each other by their essential nature not only not in consequence of the accidental direction of each but as prior to all direction nay as the primary forces from which the conditions of all possible directions are derivative and deducible secondly that these forces should be assumed to be both alike infinite both alike indestructible the problem will then be to discover the result or product of two such forces as distinguished from the result of those forces which are finite and derive their difference solely from the circumstance of their direction when we have formed a scheme or outline of these two different kinds of force and of their different results by the process of discursive reasoning it will then remain for us to elevate the thesis from notional to actual by contemplating intuitively this one power with its two inherent indestructible yet counteracting forces and the results for generations to which their interpenetration gives existence in the living principle and in the process of our own self-consciousness by what instrument this is possible the solution itself will discover at the same time that it will reveal to and for whom it is possible non omnia possumus omnes there is a philosophic no less than a poetic genius which is differenced from the highest perfection of talent not by degree but by kind the counteraction then of the two assumed forces does not depend on their meeting from opposite directions the power which acts in them is indestructible it is therefore inexhaustibly re-ebullient and as something must be the result of these two forces both alike infinite and both alike indestructible and as rest or neutralization cannot be this result no other conception is possible but that the product must be a tertium aliquid or finite generation consequently this conception is necessary now this tertium aliquid can be no other than an interpenetration of the counteracting powers partaking of both thus far had the work been transcribed for the press when i received the following letter from a friend whose practical judgment i have had ample reason to estimate and revere and whose taste and sensibility preclude all the excuses which my self-love might possibly have prompted me to set up in plea against the decision of advisers of equal good sense but with less tact and feeling dear c you ask my opinion concerning your chapter on the imagination both as to the impressions it made on myself and as to those which i think it will make on the public i e that part of the public who 
from the title of the work and from its forming a sort of introduction to a volume of poems are likely to constitute the great majority of your readers as to myself in stating in the first place the effect on my understanding your opinions and method of argument were not only so new to me but so directly the reverse of all i had ever been accustomed to consider as truth that even if i had comprehended your premises sufficiently to have admitted them and had seen the necessity of your conclusions i should still have been in that state of mind which in your note in chapter four you have so ingeniously evolved as the antithesis to that in which a man is when he makes a ball in your own words i should have felt as if i had been standing on my head the effect on my feelings on the other hand i cannot better represent than by supposing myself to have known only our light airy modern chapels of ease and then for the first time to have been placed and left alone in one of our largest gothic cathedrals in a gusty moonlight night of autumn now in glimmer and now in gloom often in palpable darkness not without a chilly sensation of terror then suddenly emerging into broad yet visionary lights with coloured shadows of fantastic shapes yet all decked with holy insignia and mystic symbols and ever and anon coming out full upon pictures and stonework images of great men with whose names i was familiar but which looked upon me with countenances and an expression the most dissimilar to all i had been in the habit of connecting with those names those whom i had been taught to venerate as almost superhuman in magnitude of intellect i found perched in little fretwork niches as grotesque dwarfs while the grotesques in my hitherto belief stood guarding the high altar with all the characters of apotheosis in short what i had supposed substances were thinned away into shadows while everywhere shadows were deepened into substances if substance might be called that shadow seemed for each seemed either yet after all i could not but repeat the lines which you had quoted from a manuscript poem of your own in the friend and applied to a work of mr wordsworth's though with a few of the words altered an orphic tale indeed a tale obscure of high and passionate thoughts to a strange music chanted be assured however that i look forward anxiously to your great book on the constructive philosophy which you have promised and announced and that i will do my best to understand it only i will not promise to descend into the dark cave of trophonius with you there to rub my own eyes in order to make the sparks and figured flashes which i am required to see so much for myself but as for the public i do not hesitate a moment in advising and urging you to withdraw the chapter from the present work and to reserve it for your announced treatises on the logos or communicative intellect in man and deity first because imperfectly as i understand the present chapter i see clearly that you have done too much and yet not enough you have been obliged to omit so many links from the necessity of compression that what remains looks if i may recur to my former illustration like the fragments of the winding steps of an old ruined tower secondly a still stronger argument at least one that i am sure will be more forcible with you is that your readers will have both right and reason to complain of you this chapter which cannot when it is printed amount to so little as an hundred pages will of necessity greatly increase the expense of the work and every reader who like myself is neither prepared nor perhaps calculated for the study of so abstruse a subject so abstrusely treated will as i have before hinted be almost entitled to accuse you of a sort of imposition on him for who he might truly observe could from your title-page to wit my literary life and opinions published too as introductory to a volume of miscellaneous poems have anticipated or even conjectured a long treatise on ideal realism which holds the same relation in abstruseness to plotinus as plotinus does to plato it will be well if already you have not too much of metaphysical disquisition in your work though as the larger part of the disquisition is historical it will doubtless be both interesting and instructive to many to whose unprepared minds your speculations on the esamplastic power would be utterly unintelligible be assured if you do publish this chapter in the present work 
you will be reminded of bishop barclay's series announced as an essay on tar-water which beginning with tar ends with the trinity the omne scibile forming the interspace i say in the present work in that greater work to which you have devoted so many years and study so intense and various it will be in its proper place your prospectus will have described and announced both its contents and their nature and if any persons purchase it who feel no interest in the subjects of which it treats they will have themselves only to blame i could add to these arguments one derived from pecuniary motives and particularly from the probable effects on the sale of your present publication but they would weigh little with you compared with the preceding besides i have long observed that the arguments drawn from your own personal interests more often act on you as narcotics than as stimulants and that in money concerns you have some small portion of pig nature in your moral idiosyncrasy and like these amiable creatures must occasionally be pulled backward from the boat in order to make you enter it all success attend you for if hard thinking and hard reading are merits you have deserved it your affectionate etc in consequence of this very judicious letter which produced complete conviction on my mind i shall content myself for the present with stating the main result of the chapter which i have reserved for that future publication a detailed prospectus of which the reader will find at the close of the second volume the imagination then i consider either as primary or secondary the primary imagination i hold to be the living power and prime agent of all human perception and as a repetition in the finite mind of the eternal act of creation in the infinite i am the secondary imagination i consider as an echo of the former coexisting with the conscious will yet still as identical with the primary in the kind of its agency and differing only in degree and in the mode of its operation it dissolves diffuses dissipates in order to recreate or where this process is rendered impossible yet still at all events it struggles to idealize and to unify it is essentially vital even as all objects as objects are essentially fixed and dead fancy on the contrary has no other counters to play with but fixities and definites the fancy is indeed no other than a mode of memory emancipated from the order of time and space while it is blended with and modified by that empirical phenomenon of the will which we express by the word choice but equally with the ordinary memory the fancy must receive all its materials ready-made from the law of association End of chapter 13